Welcome to the Cashflow Ninja, the podcast sharing how to create and grow income streams and manage, multiply, and protect your wealth in the new economy. Are you tired of trading your time for money? Do you desire freedom today instead of retirement in 10, 20, or 30 years? I'm MC Lobsher, and this is the Cashflow Ninja. Hello, Cashflow Ninjas. MC Lobsher here, and welcome to another episode of the Cashflow Ninja. I have a great show for you today. In today's show, we're going to look at how to invest in fine art. My guest in this episode is Scott Lynn. Scott has been an active collector of contemporary art for more than 15 years and has built an internationally recognized collection of abstract expressionism that has included works by Clifford Still, Barnett Newman, Mark Rothko, Willem de Koenen, and more. In addition to masterworks, Scott serves on the board of V2 Ventures, Payability, and Brooklyn Rail, a nonprofit publication in the art industry. I have only two Cashflow Ninja community announcements. Join us on Facebook. You can just go to Facebook and type in Cashflow Ninja Community, and you will find us. Everything about our movement is shared there our investment group, webinars, tools, information, and all other cool stuff. And if the show has impacted your life in any way, please send us a testimonial uh, video recorded with your smartphone to info at cashflowninja.com. If you are like many of the listeners of the show, you're always looking for unique ways to protect and grow your hard-earned capital. But sometimes that's easier said than done. The key to investing late in the cycle is identifying favorable opportunities on a risk-adjusted basis. That's where our friends at ASIM Capital come in. Since 2011, ASIM has helped more than 300 accredited investors allocate more than $20 million to mobile home parks, cell storage, and workforce housing due to the ability to generate asymmetric returns while protecting their investors' portfolios. If you're interested in learning more, head over to asymcapital.com. That's A-S-Y-M capital.com to get instant access to their investment offerings. MC Lobshire, the host of the Cashflow Ninja podcast and also the president and chief wealth and investment strategist of Producers Wealth, where we help our clients integrate cashflow banking, also known as infinite banking, with their business and investments. If you're interested in learning more about how we create strategies that integrate cashflow banking and investments to turbocharge them, you can access a video series at yourownbankingsystem.com. That's yourownbankingsystem.com. Scott, welcome to the show. Thanks, MC. Yeah, I'm really excited to connect, and I'm super excited to learn more about this niche that we're going to be discussing today. And uh, I've got a ton of questions, so I'm very excited to have you on. Thank you for connecting. Before we jump into our topic um, for today, can you please share a little bit about your background and journey with my listeners? Sure. Yeah, so I think I've spent the last uh, 15 years or so starting different companies in the uh, in the tech space. So everything from casual gaming to online advertising. Um, the last company was a fintech company, and then recently Masterworks. And um, for the listeners out there, we've we've talked a little bit on the show before. If you look at where um, the ultra wealthy through centuries have basically warehoused their wealth. 
Um, and what have served, what has served as a store of value for them, it's been real estate, land, gold and silver, and art, which I'm super excited to talk about art today. Um, before we dive into the industry a little bit, if you want to just touch on what Masterworks, um, what you guys are and what you guys do. Sure. So, so very high level, I guess, when we think about um, art as an asset class today, we think it's this really interesting um, risk-adjusted asset class. If you, if you think about the art market at very high level, there's $1.7 trillion in assets. It's a number that's published by Deloitte um, and has been confirmed by others. This year, roughly $68 billion in art will sell. Um, out of that $68 billion, approximately 61 62% of that is what we define as blue chip. And blue chip to us just means art created by the top 100 most selling artists. So these are artists like Picasso, Monet, Warhol, Basquiat, um, really household names. And then if you, if you analyze that blue chip segment, uh, the investment characteristics are, are very interesting. So blue chip art over the past several decades has outperformed the S&P. Um, but maybe more interestingly for, for some investors is that it's, it's uncorrelated. So Citibank was the first firm in 2015 to run a correlation study on the asset class and concluded that art had a correlation factor of 0.11 with the S&P. And what that means very simply is that as the stock markets go up or go down, the art market doesn't necessarily follow them. So when you think about a, another asset class to diversify into that's uncorrelated with public equities, art is an, an interesting option. Yeah, it most certainly is. So before you guys uh, in, in, in some way, shape or manner democratized investing in art, for the majority of folks. How does this industry work? You mentioned the size is about 1.7 trillion, but how, how would the investments take place uh, and how would it be traded um, traditionally? Yeah, I mean, look, for, for uh, as you said, hundreds if not thousands of years, um, ultra-wealthy people around the globe have been kind of buying and trading paintings with each other. And, uh, you know, today, the majority of that $68 billion really, really is people or are people kind of living in different countries trading these $10 million paintings with each other. And that's, that's been a substantial part of the art market for a long time. Yeah. It's very interesting. I was um, this one t uh, once in a very wealthy person's house too, and they had uh, a collector's item of a very, very famous artist, artist there too. And I remember that they were, kind of jokingly saying, you know, if, if all fell, falls apart, that's my, that's my retirement right there. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, this, this is, as you mentioned, traded between wealthy folks and, um, the value of it. I mean, it's quite astonishing. So, uh, how does, how does this, how is art traditionally valued? Um, and how do you know, you know, if art is undervalued to, to start investing it or if it's overvalued and a little bit frothy? Yeah, it's a great question. So, so historically, you know, I think I think it's uh, the, the art market has developed substantially over the past two, three, four decades. So, people are much more sophisticated in terms of how they think about about valuing art. Um, but I, I would say that, that the closest parallel is real estate. So, roughly half of the art market is traded through public auction on a dollar weighted basis. Mm -hmm. So you have public comps that, that allow investors to understand how similar objects, or even in certain cases, how those same objects have, have appreciated or sold historically. So when we look at valuing a painting, we, we really look at similar objects historically, how much have they sold for, and then we, we do 
usually a straight line appreciation analysis to determine historical appreciation and therefore future appreciation. Very interesting. So it is like real estate, basically, where the more what whatever somebody's willing to pay for that piece of property at that given point in time, that's what basically the the uh, the 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 sphere that this artist is is operating in. Yeah, and, and it's pretty incredible in today's world because there's there's single individual sales now that are exceeding a billion dollars in volume, right? So in a single night in New York for a contemporary evening sale, it's not uncommon for a billion dollars in art to be sold. So that, that just shows kind of the magnitude of the market um, today. So at the top, it's ultra wealthy folks. Um, and I'm assuming there's brokers that can broker if somebody wants to sell a piece to another person uh, and back and forth. And is there a, a, a tier just below? Because you do refer to the blue chip artworks. Is there is there a tier just below that where it's sold through galleries? Um, sh- if you don't mind sharing a little bit about that side of the business. Sure. Yeah. And then the way I would think about, it, I guess, the, um, the market is, is dealers tend to be those people that are either representing living artists um, and, and what is referred to as the primary market, meaning that the first time that an artwork is sold. But, but sometimes they also broker uh, what are referred to as secondary works, meaning paintings that have sold two or more times. Um, so brokers and to a certain extent, art advisors really control um, how, how paintings are, are transacted along with auction houses. Um, so then, then when I think about different segments of the market, you have blue chip, which is just over half of the total market from a dollar weighted perspective. Um, one tier down from blue chip, you have, you have what, what we refer to as mid-career artists. So these are, these are living artists who are established, um, have some auction track record, but haven't quite met that blue chip criteria yet. And then you have emerging artists that are, that are up and coming um, from an investment perspective, probably more speculative artists. Right. Very interesting. And this is another one of those segments that's of, of investments that's complete. Well, you, you had mentioned not correlated to, to the markets, but I'm assuming that the one part of it is a booming economy will obviously have more money flowing into these, these, uh, well, this particular paintings and these, these assets. Yes. The thing that's really, really interesting to us, and I guess the problem that we're trying to solve is when when we look at the art market today and we think about that $68 billion that's being sold, as I mentioned, qualitatively, this this really is just people around the globe trading these $10 million paintings with each other. There there really is no institutional capital in the art market today. There's no way for an average investor to allocate 1% of a portfolio or 5% of a portfolio to art. Um, So those, those vehicles just don't exist. So the, the, I guess the way that we've approached that problem at Masterworks is purchasing paintings individually and then filing them with the SEC, similar to how a company goes public, so that we can sell shares in that painting to both retail and institutional investors. Um, so this is really the first vehicle ever that's allowed someone the ability to gain exposure to the asset class without purchasing a whole painting. Right, because these, like you said, these are millions of dollars worth of some of these paintings, and I just saw uh, an Andy Warhol one that you guys just uh, released. Right, right, and and in today's world, you know, this um, uh, I think I'll get this number wrong, but this year I think there's been four or five hundred million dollar painting sales. I think last year there were six or seven hundred million dollar painting sales. So mm-hmm. the 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 order of magnitude of some of these these works of art is is getting really really interesting. Uh, can you speak to the liquidity of this asset clause? Because this is something, obviously, that that has to be considered by investors. 
Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So in our in our governance structure today, um, the the way that it works is if you invest in a particular painting, um, we tend to tell investors to think of the investment horizon as a three to seven year horizon. So these these are not assets that produce cash flow, obviously. Um, so the only way to really generate liquidity historically has been to sell a painting, um, and we we think the the time frame that that makes sense to to hold um, a painting before selling it is somewhere between three and seven years. All of that being said, we, we are additionally working to, um, to release additional avenues for liquidity for investors, first starting with um, an annual window of liquidity where investors can trade shares with one another, um, and, then, and then thereafter working to, to increase the frequency of those liquidity options. But today, we, we really guide people as, as thinking of these as sort of three to seven year holds. Okay. What are the main risks that investors should consider uh, with an investment such as this? You know, it really, in the art market, it really depends on the artist and then the example by that artist. So um, some artists are, are what we would consider to be really incredible um, sort of risk-adjusted investments like Claude Monet. Um, from the data that we have, it appears that approximately 4% of the time that someone purchases a Monet, the painting actually sells for less the second time. So it's this it's this very rare asset where you can sort of earn eight, nine, ten percent a year without taking much risk of capital loss. Um, but conversely, there's also very young artists who, you know, do not have established careers are are showing for their first or second time at galleries, which which are are much much harder, if not impossible, to predict. Um, and, and at this time, we're, we're not really offering those artists on, on the Masterworks platform. But it's, you know, it's just like any other asset class. I would think of certain segments of the market as being um, relatively safe and other segments of the market as being very risky and very speculative. Right. Um, and at the moment, uh, how do you guys come by some of the paintings? Is this just sort of through a network of folks, through dealers? How, how do you guys do that? Yeah, 100% of the, the purchasing today is being done through public auction. So it's just through relationships that we have with auction houses. And that, that's not necessarily how we think about purchasing long-term, but we do think, um, at least the feedback we've received from a lot of retail investors so far, is that uh, the, that purchasing an auction really gives them comfort with, with understanding um, the price that we pay and how to think about questions around authenticity or provenance, uh, et cetera. You're listening to The Cashflow Ninja, the show helping people all over the world create monthly cash flow and achieve freedom today, not in 10, 20, 30, and or 40 years. This is the show where cash is not king, but cash flow is king. We will be right back after a word from our sponsors. My friend Dave Zook from The Real Asset Investor says, you can be conventional or you can be wealthy. Pick one. The Real Asset Investor team creates value for investors looking for high yield returns from multifamily apartments, ATM machines, and self-storage investments. Their syndications offer attractive investment opportunities that produce strong cash flow, equity growth, huge tax incentives. They are truly passive and managed by a world-class team. To learn more about the exciting investment opportunities the Real Asset Investor offers, such as their multifamily, ATM, and self-storage syndications, please visit cashflowninja.com forward slash real asset investor. Are you having a hard time finding great investment properties? Unfortunately, the best deals are rarely found locally. 
Successful investing begins with the right properties in the right markets. Norada Real Estate provides everything you need to invest in the best deals across the United States. Our simple proven system will help you create real wealth and passive monthly cash flow. Learn how to find the best deals by downloading your free copy of The Ultimate Guide to Passive Real Estate Investing at noradarealestate.com. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com. You're listening to The Cashflow Ninja, the show helping people all over the world create monthly cash flow and achieve freedom today, not in 10, 20, 30, and or 40 years. This is the show where cash is not king, but cash flow is king. Now let's return to our interview. So uh, right now, investors can participate and through buying partial shares in a painting on the platform. Uh, what does the future look like? Uh, uh, will there be futures traded on, on, on some of these artworks? Um, uh, what is, uh, uh, is, would there be a fund eventually that would yeah. provide some liquidity? Yeah, I mean these these are all these are all really good questions. Uh, you know, I, I like to draw parallels between the the art market and the real estate market, um, and it's really interesting if you go back in time in the real estate market several decades ago, there was something called Case Shiller that was created for real estate, and Case Shiller effectively was an index that allowed institutional investors to really understand how real estate prices um, were tracking by segment and, and in other ways. So I think a lot of our time at Masterworks is spent educating the investor community on how to think about art prices in general and trends in general. So one of the, one of the things we're doing is, is creating an index very similar to how uh, Case Shiller was created for real estate and using that to help investors understand um, art prices and appreciation by segment. So, you know, we think that over time, as people understand the asset class more, there will be more opportunity to develop more sophisticated products like like fun products, for example, that give investors exposure to lots of different assets or maybe more speculative um, products that, that deal with emerging artists rather than just blue chip artists. Um, but today we're really just focused on, on launching these individual blue chip paintings um, via the Masterworks website. Right. So nothing speculative yet. Nothing speculative yet. Yeah. So... Who would this be a good investment for and wh what investors should not consider something like this as part of their portfolio? Yeah, you know, I, I would think about, um, so I, I think the ideal investor for art is someone that is looking for good risk-adjusted returns that are not correlated with public equities. Um, you know, I've, I've been investing in art for uh, almost 20 years now and and that's how I tend to think about the asset class is that say a relatively um, uh, stable asset class that doesn't often decline in value, at least at the top end of the market, produces good steady returns and tends to be uncorrelated with, with public equities. So I think that's, that's how I would encourage investors to think about it as well with the additional overlay of anyone that invests in, in our products or in art in general should be prepared to hold that investment for several years before, before recognizing returns. Um, it's just not, it's just not an asset class that you can invest in on day one and sell on day three. Right. You're right. Uh, no, absolutely. And the, the other uh, part of it too, is the educational piece. Is there, are there any resources that you guys offer for folks that to be educated on this uh, while well, in this specific investment niche? 
Yeah, we, we have a uh, we have a section on our website called Insights. So if you go to masterworks.io on the top of the top of the page, there's an Insights button, um, and we publish some of our own proprietary research, but we also compile a lot of third-party research on the asset class. Um, so I think that's that's one of the best resources there are for really understanding how to think about art as an investment. And then, and then over time, we are really looking to, um, to to try to publish more data on our website about how particular paintings have appreciated um, over the years. We, we've identified roughly 60,000 paintings that have been sold at public auction two or more times in the past um, the past couple decades. So we, one of the things we'd, we'd like to eventually do for investors is help them understand how particular artworks by particular artists have been bought and sold throughout history. Right. Fantastic. Uh, how does uh, how does it work to get set up with you guys? Obviously, you can go to the website and set up an account. Are there minimums? Is it for accredited investors? What, what what's the uh, some of that information? Yeah, it's a great question. So these are uh, very uniquely uh, retail offerings that are that are qualified by the SEC. So anyone can invest um, in our offerings. And you, you, know, you can read all the specific details of each individual offering either on our website or by going to sec.gov. Um, but they're, they're, they're open for anyone to invest. Great. Now, one habit I've observed from wealthy and successful people is that they're always studying uh, new things, learning new things and adding skill sets. Obviously, this is a very exciting uh, new niche and you're very well versed in the art world. And now combining that with technology, what have, what have you been studying and learning lately? Uh, you know, it's a, it's a good question. I think in terms of books that I've, that I've just finished reading, um, uh, I just finished a book by Noah Horowitz on the art market, actually, which is a, which is a great read on art market dynamics. I just finished uh, Principles, which everyone seems to have uh, seems to have finished lately. Uh, you know, I guess I'm always always reading different things and thinking about different things, um, but those are the two latest. That's the Principles from Ray Dalio, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. What are some of the things that are working in your life and in business, and and why do they work? Um, you know, that's, that's a good question. I think that, I think the older you get, you sort of learn routines that, that are effective for you. Um, and you know, my, my routines tend to deal probably more with process and how I approach, how I approach my life and how I approach building businesses. Um, I think most of my friends think, think that, uh, I'm highly organized in terms of how, how I think about operating things, both personally and professionally. Um, so it's probably those routines, right? Like how do we, how do you keep track of, of tasks? How do you keep track of projects? Um, how do you think about strategy? Uh, how do you think about hiring? How do you think about firing? Like all, all of those different things that at least entrepreneurs deal with, deal with every day. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Who are some of the people that you've studied and some mentors that you had? And is there anyone in particular you're studying currently? You know, I, I think the, I think the person that, um, at least the author, and I, I don't know a person that had, had the biggest impact on me historically and still does, I still think about it a lot, is, is Michael Porter um, in terms of just thinking about strategy and differentiation. I tend to think through those those very simple five forces um, a lot with every business I have and, and kind of everything that I'm, I'm investing in. That, that's had a big impact on me. 
Yeah. What are what has been some of the greatest uh, learning learning experiences for you in building this company? Obviously, there's a team, there's advisors. You guys are growing. There's a lot yeah. of exciting stuff going on. You know, it's interesting. I I would actually say that every every business I've done, and I think this is um, I can't remember that my eight or ninth business now. I, I I I learned so much more from the last business than probably uh, anything else, and and you know, which I guess which I guess sequentially means you you learn the most from from the first business that you do, which in my case was this um, very fast growing late nineties uh, internet dot uh, com company, which I had at a very young age grew to, to a very large business and then fell apart during the, um, the bubble bursting. And that, you know, in some ways that was such a, such a great experience and such a horrible experience, but it was, a, it was an awesome learning experience regardless. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I think that, uh, that failure almost in some ways um, or lack of success just informs you more for the next thing that you do. Yeah, absolutely. Def, de, definitely a golden lessons along the road, right? That positions you and gets you the experience to tackle the next project. Now, a core message in our show is to leave our families, communities, and the world better than we found it by passing down a mindset, values, and principles to future generations, not just money. So if you cannot pass on any money to future generations, and we're only allowed to pass on three principles to them to build wealth and achieve happiness and success, what would they be? Yeah, I mean, a very, very hard question. Um, very hard question. I mean, you know, with uh, without thinking about this more than a few minutes, I, I think the first thing that I would say, and it really goes goes back to my comment on Michael Porter, um, is focus on on what you're doing first, not just working hard. Uh, I see a lot of friends and a lot of entrepreneurs that put in 16 hour days on, on projects that, that just, you know, the available market is small, there's not good product market fit, and then they just keep working harder and harder and harder, year after year, burning themselves out on, on um, strategies that just aren't that interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, the second thing I would say, and in today's world in particular, there's, there's this big focus on kind of work-life balance and, you know, how do you balance things? And, I, you know, my experience has always been that's, that's the wrong approach. Um, I think you you should spend your life doing what you love, and if you do what you love, it doesn't feel like work. And I you know I don't have kids, but if I had kids, I would I would strongly encourage them to really just focus on on what they love because I, I do think there's strong correlation between doing something you like every day and being good at it. Um, so that would probably be number two, and then number three, and and this is this has been more of a learning experience for me, I think, over the years, um, 10 or 15 years ago, I definitely would not have said this, but I, I think relationships in life um, are incredibly impactful in terms of um, determining success. So, you know, I was having a conversation with someone the other day, and I, I said, I, I think you know, half of the value in a business is created by how great of a business you build, then the other half of the value in the business is created by the three people that you know that you build good relationships with, you ultimately sell the business to. Um, so those, those very small number of relationships can have such a big impact on, on our lives and, and cultivating them and, and focusing on them, I think is, is really key. Yeah, you never know what uh, where you're going to end up or the, rela- the doors that relationships uh, open up or the par- potential businesses or partners, right? Yeah, and I, and I think life is, is sort of about just creating as much optionality as you can 
um, and then and then ultimately making decisions down the road. But you do want to have as much optionality. Yep, absolutely, Scott. Where can my listeners learn more about you? Where can they follow you? And where can they uh, touch base uh, with your company? Yeah, so so Masterworks is the best place. So www.masterworks.io or or me on on LinkedIn. Um, but yeah, you know we we uh, we, we now have 18,000 investors signed up on the platform, and uh, we're excited to continue releasing more and more paintings down the road. Yeah, lots of exciting stuff. So I've I've been on the mailing list, and I see it released. So there's a lot going on. Uh, we are looking forward to seeing all of this develop. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your journey and your knowledge of providing so much value for my listeners. Thanks, MC. Life settlement investments have allowed financial and banking institutions to not only buy their equity contractually, but also diversify their capital from any economic, market, and geopolitical risk. It's been part of the billion-dollar blueprint followed by institutional investors. And if you're an accredited investor, you can also now participate in this vehicle with enormous growth potential. You can watch an informational webinar presented by one of the premier organizations providing life settlement investments for number of solutions at cashflowninja.com forward slash life settlements. Thank you again for joining me on the Cashflow Ninja. If you like what you hear and appreciate what we're trying to build here, please subscribe, rate, and write a review for our show on iTunes and share our show with family, friends, and your network. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can sign up for our newsletter at cashflowninja.com. I want to thank you for spending your most precious resource with me today, your time. Until next time, my friend, live a life of passion and purpose on your terms. This presentation is for educational and informational purposes only. The information being presented and considered does not consider your particular financial objectives or situation, and it does not make personalized recommendations. This material is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified tax and legal advisor or other qualified professionals, and you should not use the information in place of a customized consultation with a licensed professional regarding your specific personal financial objectives, situation, and needs. We believe the information provided is reliable, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness, or completeness.